for reminding us what Jesus did for us. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we come before thee, we who have placed our faith and trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We come before thee clean, washed in his blood. Thank you, Father, for that cleansing flood, Lord, that flowed from Calvary and forever cleansed us from all our sin. And now, Father, I pray that as we understand who we are in Christ, Lord, that we might once again learn to trust you in the days ahead, no matter what may befall us. Encourage our hearts in thy word, I pray. Once again, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me, we're continuing a study in the Psalms. But if you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 15, that's where we're going to begin. And then we're going to go move over to the Psalm we've chosen to study this morning. But 2 Samuel chapter 15, we come to an event that uh, King David never saw coming. It was the last thing he would ever dream of happening. And that was he would lose his throne. Not only would he lose his throne, but he would lose it and be on the run from his son Absalom, who was seeking that throne and trying to kill his own father. And so that's where we are here. Absalom is coming with his army, and now David has to flee Jerusalem. So that's where we are here. <clears throat> and uh, let's pick it up at verse 13 together. Then a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, for otherwise none of us shall escape from Absalom. Go in haste, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Then the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. So the king went out and all his household with him. But the king left his ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people with him. And they stopped at the last house. Now all his servants passed on beside him. All the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites. Six hundred men who had come with him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, why will you also go with us? Return and remain with the king. Speaking of Absalom, who would now be the new king. For you are a foreigner and also an exile. Return to your own place. You came only yesterday and I shall and, and shall I today make you wander with us? While I go where I will, return and take your brothers. Mercy and truth be with you. Look what uh, uh, Etai says to the king, verse 21. 
But Atai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely wherever my Lord the king may be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. Therefore David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. And so Ittai the Gittite passed over with all his men and all the little ones who were with him, the children. In verse 23, while all the country was weeping with a loud voice, all the people passed over. The king also passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. If you know Israel, and you understand, you remember the, uh, the geography of it, um, the valley of Kidron is on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. And if you've been to Israel, you've seen pictures of the Eastern Gate or you've been there to see the Eastern Gate, that Kidron Valley, you would go through the Eastern Gate, go down in the Kidron Valley, and then that would take you right up to the Mount of Olives. And then over that, it would take you into the wilderness. David gathered his family, gathered everyone together and said, it's time to leave. And some, he, he couldn't believe some people were going with him. He tried to keep them back, but they were, they were so committed to David and knew that he was God's anointed. And David was bewildered in all this, but he knew he had to flee for his life and bring his family with him. And so he brought also with him the Ark of the Covenant. But I want you to see, and then we'll turn to the psalm we're going to look at, which most Bible scholars believe he wrote the psalm during this time, as he was running from his son Absalom. But look at verse 24. And behold, Zadok also came, and all the Levites with him, carrying the ark of the covenant of God. And they sat down the ark of God, and Abiathar came up until all the people had finished passing from the city. And the king said to Zadok, Return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in thee. Behold, here I am. And here's the key. Look at the end of verse 26. David said, let him do to me as seems good to him. David is saying, let God do to me what God thinks is best for me. And he doesn't know if he'll ever return to Jerusalem, ever return and get his throne back. Now he's, he's under great, in a great crisis and distress. And what does he do? He basically, you know, you know mo most kings, if they had that, the Ark of the Covenant, they'd say, well, let's bring it along with them because that represents God's presence. So we can't leave that behind. But David said, go take it back. And if the Lord's plan is that I come back, I will come and worship again. 
in his house where the Ark of the Covenant is. But perhaps God has a different plan. And he may not be pleased with me to be back on the throne. And so then David at this point is in crisis mode. But do you see the beginning of where David is going? He is surrendering himself afresh to the Lord's will in his life. And he's coming to a place where he's saying, I'm going to let God be God. And so now let us turn to the psalm that David was writing during this calamity in his life. Psalm 62. If you go over to Psalm 62 with me, only 12 verses in this psalm. But we will notice from this psalm that David is not crying out to God in the psalm. It's different from some of his other psalms that he wrote when he was in crisis and he was pouring out his heart to God and crying, help me, save me, deliver me. Now notice the beginning uh, at the very top, the title above the psalm. It says, for the choir director, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Now Jeduthun was the chief of one of the choirs in the temple. So he would take the music. Later on, he would take the music from David when David had written his psalms and give them to him. And they would be sung as worship services. Uh, In a worship service, they would be sung as psalms of worship to the Lord. And so David comes now. And look what he says here in verse 1 through 4. Read together. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence, they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. Selah. This psalm is basically broken up into three sections. And each section ends with that phrase, Selah. So that's we we know where to divide this up. And that word selah, as many of you know, uh, literally means to, uh, to pause or to rest. Like in music, if you see uh, a rest, the, the symbol for rest, it means to pause or to wait. And basically, when we see the word selah, David puts it in there and says, think on these things. Meditate on what was just said. And so here he wants us to reflect on what what he has just said. There, beginning at verse 1, look again at verse 1 with me. He begins this psalm by saying, My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. Now, if you have a King James Version, the word silence is not there. And you're probably wondering, well, 
how come? Other versions have the word silence there. However, the Hebrew meaning for wait there, my soul waits in silence for God only, that word wait in the Hebrew literally means waiting in silence. Without noise, without uh, you know, distractions, but waiting in silence. And so that's why in the other translations we see wait in silence, or some versions have it, rest in silence. My soul rests in silence for God only. For God only. And you see that word only there? He uses it six different times. And that the Hebrew word for only here is ak, two letters, ak. And, and David is using that word to emphasize what he is saying. He uses that word only. He says, my soul waits in silence for God only, verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. And then if you drop down, we see it again in verses 5, and we'll see it in the other verses as well. But David is stating in this psalm from his heart that there is only one place that my heart rests. And only one place I go to in the midst of my pain and my trial and my suffering, and that is I go before God only. How many times have we tried to deal with our trouble in our life by, by going to everything else but God alone? We, go, we try this in our life and, and we think that, well, just other friends, I need them. And then, or we, we need some other things in our life that, that we use to comfort us maybe or to calm us down, some distractions, things that would distract us from what we're going through. But here, David says, I don't want anything else, but this is where I am. He's on the run. He could die any day because of his son Absalom. And yet he's saying, this is where I am. And he's resolved to this. I, my soul waits patiently in silence for God. Waits patiently in silence. Now, we're not good handling silence, are we? Uh, basically, uh, how many of you... Use a sound machine. Have you ever, you know, the sound machines at night? You you play, put one on. Some people have to use those, uh, and it helps them go to sleep, having a little noise in the background. Um, <clears throat> we actually have a sound machine. Yeah, so Sharon can hear my snoring. My snoring, but no, no, no. But we. <laughs> We use a sound machine. Uh, it's funny, when I was growing up in Philly, uh, where we first lived in Philly, it was near the elevated trains. I don't know if you ever heard of the elevated trains in Philly, but 
they were the trains that ran up above, not on the ground. And we were living in a house that was sitting right next to the elevated train. And so at night, all the time, that, 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 that rumbling of, of that elevated train would just zoom on by. And the first time we moved there, I couldn't sleep. Noise, it just got so noisy. Hearing this train would, you know, every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes, another train would go by. And, and, and it, you know, it was hard to sleep. But after a while, we got used to it. So that that, that sound, I was able to finally get sleep and I got used to that sound. I don't know if that stuck with me all the way to today, but I like that little sound of, of you know, that white noise in the background or something. Just, uh, well, basically, it, it's also the number one reason is so that you, you don't always hear the, something, then uh, the first noise and you, you wake up. But those sound machines have been useful in helping people sleep. Now, in our day and, uh, day and age, uh, people don't like sound, uh, silence at all. They need sound. It's quite interesting. A psychologist was asked this question. Why can I only focus on things if there is background noise, like music, video, podcasts, something like that? And maybe you're one of those persons that you've always got to have noise going during the day. Silence, no. You've heard that phrase, silence is deafening. Well, literally, it can be for people who aren't used to it. And so the psychologist said this. This is actually a sign of distractibility. People need a certain level of stimulation of their minds. Uh, and uh, that, that begins them to create. I'm willing to bet that if you pay attention to it, you'll notice that without the background stimulus, you start becoming distracted by your own internal thoughts. Do you hate being alone with your own thoughts? Yeah, we get so busy because as soon as things stop and it's quiet. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't handle what's going on in my life, in my head. Uh, I've got need a distraction. He goes on. However, with the background to focus on, you've reached the stimulation threshold where your mind no longer needs to create its own stimulation. Too much silence lets your thoughts wander. Have you had that happen? So a small amount of noise that you control is good for focus. Yes, we, we need that. Sometimes we, we, we look for that noise because we, we don't want to deal with our thoughts. And we don't want to deal in silence. One plant manager, Mark Wagner said this, very, very seldom in all my years have I experienced complete silence. But let me tell you, as someone who grew up in an inner city neighborhood, complete silence makes all sound, 
uh, makes, I'm sorry, complete silence makes a sound all its own. And it's a little maddening. Constant noise to this day is normal to me. I know what that's like growing up in the city. Silence is almost scary. Just waiting for a sound makes my heart race and makes me nervous. Here it is. David is at a place where he says, okay, I am going to be silent before the Lord. I'm not going to try and bring in all the distractions to get me distracted from my crisis. And this is where I believe God wants you and I to get to. To get to a place where I am willing to, to sit before him and be silent and wait patiently for him. And that means wait patiently for him to do whatever is good in his eyes concerning me. And that's what David did when he was fleeing Jerusalem. Look here then again, uh, verse 3, uh, the end of verse 2. My stronghold, I shall not be greatly shaken. God is his stronghold and therefore, no matter what is happening, he's come to a place where he will not be shaken or moved. He is firm. In his faith, in his trust in the Lord. And then in verse 3 through 4, he now points at the people who are, who are after him, who've assailed him, who have been treacherous to him, his son and his followers. That's when he says, how long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? He's basically picturing himself as like a leaning wall or, or uh, unstable fence that's about to be pushed over by the mob. And this idea of leaning wall uh, in, in the Hebrew talks about a wall that was made up of, of just regular stones from the ground without any mortar or any cutting. And basically it was flimsy and easy to fall. And this is the way... Uh, he feels the onslaught from those who are counseling against him. But then we come to verse 5. Look at 5 through 8 with me. He then again says, My soul, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken on God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. And then he speaks to the people who would be reading this. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And there's that word again, Selah. Pause and think on this. Once again, verse 5 David reminds himself, he says, my soul, he's telling his own soul, saying, remember, wait in silence for God only. That, that doesn't mean just sitting and twiddling your thumbs waiting on God. This means David's talking about an active waiting where I continue to to deal with life and its issues, but in my heart, 
There is a waiting. There is, a, there is patience in my heart waiting upon God silently, even though there may be noise around me, but waiting on him to answer my prayer however he chooses, whatever he sees fit and is best for my life. He's learning for his soul to be still. To be still. Psalm 46.10, be still and what? Know that I am God. The only way I can know truly God and hear his voice and, and know his presence is if I am still. If I am still. And my friend, when was the last time you can honestly say that you sat patiently for the Lord and you were still in his presence? There's a hymn. I just asked Greg if he would, you know, uh, pull this up. There's a hymn called Be Still My Soul. And uh, did you find the words, Greg? Okay, they're coming up. I, I just feel that we should sing this together. What are the three verses? Or just the one? Three. Okay. Let, Let's just sing this uh, together. Uh, I don't think we need, we won't use the piano. But picture this coming from David's heart, because that's what we're seeing here. And let's, let's sing this together. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide in every change he faithful still my soul thy best thy heavenly friend though thorny ways leads to a joyful end be still my soul thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past thy hope thy confidence let nothing shake all Shall be bright at last. Peace still, my soul, though waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt. 
Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief and fear are gone, sorrow forget, love's purest joys restore. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed, we shall meet him at last. Amen. Thank you for joining me in that song. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. If you go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. The Lord got a hold of David's heart. Isaiah 40, familiar passage, verse 28. Concerning Waiting on the Lord. Isaiah writes, verse 28, Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength or renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Dear friends, if there's one thing to take home with you today, it's this. Wait patiently for him. Wait silently in his presence. And then you will know that peace that passes all understanding. And you're leaving the future, whatever it may be, whether it's the news that you just got, you, you now have cancer and you, you don't know what the future holds. You lost a loved one in some way, whether it's a relationship broken, a marriage broken, or you lost a loved one through death. You may have lost your job. You financially, things look so bad for you, whatever it is. This is the key. David found it. The secret. To be still and know that he is God. To wait patiently for him. David also wrote in Psalm 37, 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So if you'll go back with me now to 
Psalm 62. Look what else he says here then. Again, he, verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. There's that word only again. His focus, his heart is solely focused on God, his rock and his salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. And here, verse 8, he tells the people now, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Then verse 9. Men of low degree are only vanity. Men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up. These are the balances that consider the judgment of God. They are altogether lighter than breath. Like a vapor. Life, their life is going to be like a vapor. And then David here points to things where we end up putting our faith in, our trust in. And so many times we, it can lead us astray and apart from that, that place of waiting on the Lord and trusting in him. Verse 10, do not trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and loving kindness is thine, O Lord. For thou dost recompense a man according to his work. David, once again, focuses on those men and Absalom who have, are threatening his life and have put him in a place of of great distress and yet he tells the people as he's writing here he says don't forget those problems those people who are against you their life is short life is short God will deal with them do not trust in oppression like they do and do not vainly hope in theft or robbery and don't put your faith in riches he goes on and on about these things that would take us away from where David said we need to be. Where my soul is resting and waiting patiently for God to answer my prayer. David learned something that the Apostle Paul learned and it's something that needs to be learned. It's a secret. How many like secrets, right? You like to say, oh, I'd like to know what that secret is. And someone tells you, you know, these uh, things that they offer now, nowadays. Uh, they'll tell you that, that here's the, the secret to uh, staying youthful. You know, buy some cream that's going to take all the wrinkles away or or this or that, or some kind of secret. We're, we're always drawn and captivated by someone who says, I've got a secret. You should remember that old show, I've Got a Secret. Who, now, boy, is that dating me. 
I've got a secret. But, uh, <laughs> but they would, people would try and guess what the secret is. I want you to see the secret here that David found, that the Apostle Paul came to learn, and that you and I can learn. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, as we close, with this passage. Philippians 4.11. You know, the church at Philippi here had, had been seeking to help the Apostle Paul financially. And they found an opportunity to do so. But he wanted them to be certain of something concerning his own life. Verse 11, Philippians 4, 11. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. Here it is. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. He learned the secret of what? Contentment. What is the one thing that seems to be the hardest thing for we as Americans to grasp and to, to hold on to? It's contentment. Am I content with what God has given me? And I am content to trust him that whether I am, am in need or that need is, is uh, met and I have abundance of things, whatever it is, I, have to, I can come to a place and I can learn this secret that Paul learned. Whatever state, whatever situation I am, I can have a contented heart. That's what David learned. To be still, to be silent as his soul waited upon the Lord patiently for him to act. And you and I can have this contentment today if we will choose it. But I have to understand who gives me this contentment? Because I can't manufacture it myself in my own flesh. So how do I do it? Verse 13. Look at verse 13. The familiar promise. I can do all things through who? Christ or him who strengthens me. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is going to give me the strength and the, and the ability through his Holy Spirit, to be still before God's presence and to say, okay, Lord, I am being still and I'm waiting patiently for you. I've laid out my prayer requests, my needs. Now I'm just going to wait on you, Lord. I'm going to trust you to do that which you deem best in my life. Do you know what happens when we get there? We begin to experience that peace that passes all understanding. The peace that Christ promised us. If we would not let our hearts be troubled. But we would focus upon the Lord alone. 
God and God alone has to be your strength and your stronghold today. And as you go out this week and ask him, Lord, help me to learn contentment and become like David to come to a place where I will be silent before thee and wait patiently. Let's pray together. As we bow our heads before the Lord, dear Christian, perhaps there's been so much noise in your life, confusion, in the midst of any of the crisis you're going through and what you're dealing with in your own personal life. And you have anything but contentment. Would you ask the Lord to teach you that now? Just say, Lord, here I am. I want to come to you and sit silently before thee as my soul waits on you to act, to move on my behalf. Whatever it is that will be best for me. Oh, dear Christian, make that commitment this morning. Choose to be still and know that he is God. If you're here without Christ, I invite you to accept the Savior as your own Lord. He died for you on that cross. He took the punishment for your sins. And if you would accept him by faith, he will come in. And as we heard the song so beautifully sung, he will cleanse you from all your sin. He'll forgive you of all your sin, past, present, and future, if you will but come to the cross and accept him by faith, admitting you're a sinner. If you're ready to make that decision and accept Christ, would you pray this simple prayer with me right where you are? Just pray something like this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me, and you took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away, and I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now a child of God. You have been born again spiritually. You have now received forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, and you've been given the free gift of eternal life. Welcome to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking once again to our hearts. May we leave here, Lord, more content than when we came. As we lay everything into your hands and wait silently for thee. And we know, Lord, that what you do will be what will bring you the glory and what will be best for each one of us as we have a surrendered heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we conclude.